1: Good and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we are coming to you live on this first Wednesday in June 2021. So, because uh, I know sometimes you guys are trying to figure out whether we're live live or live, you know, <laughs> or recorded. We are live live this morning on June 2nd, 2021. So happy to be here with you on this Wednesday. We're going to be live for this next hour. And a lot of times on Wednesdays, we have Dr. Doreen grampy Schaefer. Ask Dr. Doreen. When we don't have her and we don't have her this morning, we always reach out to see if we can have Evelyn Kung. And we do have Evelyn Kung today. And she's going to be joining us in just a second. Before I welcome her in, I want to remind all of you that you can be interacting with us right here, right now with the live show. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, our homepage, and about 17 other sites as well that we are live. But if you want to have your question answered at this point in the live show, the best thing to do is to either do it on YouTube, on Twitter, or on Facebook. That's the quickest way to get your question answered during the live show. If you have a question and you're watching it recorded, best thing to do is to send the message into the chat on autism-live.com. I want to remind all of you that that chat is not interactive. It goes one way. You send me a message in that chat. And we usually start, and we're going to start today, With questions directly from there. That's where I take my starter questions from. So I I do want to say to all of you that we love your questions. It's our favorite thing here is getting questions from you guys and having the ability to talk back and forth to you. We don't have the ability anymore, thank you, because there's so many of you watching and sending in questions. We don't have the ability to answer all of those, all the questions you send in. Uh, but we do appreciate persistence and we try to monitor and see if a question has come in more than once. We bump it to the top of the list. So be persistent. Uh, remember that we're we're providing this service to all of you. It's a free thing to ask the questions and we're doing the level best that we can. I know it gets so frustrating when you see other people's questions being answered. And sometimes you guys give me grief. It's okay. Give me grief, but know that we're doing the best that we can. okay. There's no malice intended. We're not trying to ignore anybody or overlook anybody. We're doing the level best that we can. Uh, I also want to say that the show is available in podcast. In fact, we are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. And we thank you for that. That is because you guys watch, because you like, you subscribe, you share, you comment, uh, you critique on iTunes. All of that helps us to get our message out to more people. We don't spend money on marketing here. Uh, so we appreciate it's grassroots movement here. If you like what you see here, if you want to share it with other people, it's deeply, deeply appreciated because otherwise people won't find out about us. And our whole goal here is to provide information and inspiration in an easy to find format where where anyone around the world might be looking and to have at least an element of this be back and forth so that you can have a, a way to ask questions. I want to be clear, because so many of you have reached out recently and said, you know, talk to us about, you know, uh, who's who's who and who's what. I want to be clear that I am not an expert in autism, although I'm about to welcome one, uh, and that, you know, I am not an individual on the autism spectrum. I'm in another category, which is people who love people on the autism spectrum. I happen to be a parent of a fantastic young man who turns 18 and what Saturday, how many days is that? I can't even do the math and graduates from high school next week and is doing spectacularly because, you know, he had the right supports at the right time and enough of it, which is a big part of the equation, right? So I'm incredibly grateful. want to be here to help you. And when I say you, I'm talking to that really large autism community. Of course, that starts with individuals on the spectrum. Of course, you guys are the beating heart of our community. Um, But we also want to, we want to help and support you and answer your questions, but we also want to help and support the people around you that love you, that want to help you to get all the things in life that you so richly deserve, the respect, the employment, the right to live where you want to live, love who you want to love, all of that, right? And together as a community, we hope that we can achieve that um, one step at a time, right? So that's what we're doing here. And that's why I want to welcome right now, Evelyn Kung. Uh, And Evelyn is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for multiple decades with all types of individuals on the spectrum, because there is not just one size fits all and all different ages, all different abilities. And she is awesome. Good morning, Evelyn Kung.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: You look fabulous today, and it sounds like you're sitting right here in front of me. The audio is just as crisp as a sheet this morning. Yay,
0: for technology today, hopefully.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I almost hate to say it because, you know, things can always change. Uh, but so thrilled and excited that you're here today. want to remind everybody, you can go ahead and start sending questions into Evelyn. I do have to give the disclaimer that there is no expert in this field or any expert uh, in any field that can give individual specific advice in this particular format. That would be a disservice to the individual um, because Evelyn doesn't have the ability to have eyes on the situation. But having said that, you can send her very specific questions and pick her brain and it is of no cost to you. And, and other, not only will you learn from it, but others learn from it. Sometimes you guys write in questions and I'm like, I don't know anything about that. And then I hear the answer and I go, well, I'm glad I know more about that now. And then I want to go down the rabbit hole and find out more about that thing. I know I'm not the only one who does that Uh, because sometimes if you don't know the question to ask, you know, there, there you are. So Evelyn, tell us what you do for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders.
0: (laughs) I've been here a long, long time. So I've done a lot of different things Um, right now. I'm actually a clinical systems director, which, which is kind of strange, but a system looking at like, you know, it, it can be anything clinical. It can be anything as everything from technology to just like how to, you know, how to um, bring a patient on in terms of the process. So, but the main thing I do, I th- for the most part is I help families problem solve, I help supervisors problem solve still. That is probably my main focus right now is when supervisors get to a point where, you know, they have a question or they don't know what to do, you know, with a child or a family or a circumstance. That's usually where I jump in um, and just give them some assistance on whatever level that they need it. And then I also am looking at those kids who like when they're coming in little and it's just like, if you can go on and live a regular life, like all those neurotypical people, you know, let's do it and trying to get them through and get them the therapy that they need so that, you know, they can go on and just live their happy little lives wherever they want to go. So love that. Love that. And do, I do want to say that, you know, correct
1: me if I'm wrong. It seems like all the research recently has pointed to the fact that um, of course, with good quality ABA, everybody's going to make a certain amount of progress. Um, but that some kids are going to make more progress than others, and it's going to depend on a lot of different factors. But uh, you know, I'm always interested in what are the factors and how can we use the factors to our benefit. We talk about how much, how many hours they need to get, and and that caregivers need to learn the things that the the behavior technicians are doing. But there's also a thing that seems to be showing up in the research that when the supervisor, the board certified behavior analyst, has some experience to have seen you know, okay, I had a kiddo who was like this before, and here's what we did that worked after we tried 18 things, that that experience can be put into that next child of, instead of going through those 18, let's try the thing that worked with the kid that was similar, that that tends to streamline the process and the kid learns faster. So experience matters a lot. And you have more experience than just about anybody. So I love... That even a new BCBA, what I call the baby BCBAs at card, can run to you and say, I haven't seen this before. And then you can look at the video, you can look at the kiddo, and you can say, but I have, and here's what I have to share that will make this faster. Which I just think ups everybody's game. Um, and I know that that's why you're doing it. So I just wanted to say thank you.
0: Oh, um, it's my pleasure. I love it, you know. I always say that I'm very blessed because I actually love my job <laughs> and I love problems. <laughs>
1: uh, well that's I don't even know what to say or do about that, but uh <laughs> you love problems. Well, I think it's because you you problem solve really well. And so that's gotta feel very gratifying.
0: Yeah. It's definitely gratifying and um, I always say like it's amazing you know normally you only can view your own children and how they develop but you know I've been able to view kids I think about the oldest kid I've worked with is 30 now <laughs> wow that's <laughs> says, amazing yeah which you know when you you know I always look at them and I say like I carried you on my hips when you were two <laughs> Like how did this happen? And yeah, it's not just to my own children. It's, you know, to all these kids out there that, but I just think it's amazing to just see them go on to do some pretty great things.
1: It is amazing. I'm going to jump into some questions here and you guys can be sending questions in the chat via YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, So this is a question that came in um, on our website. My three-year-old nonverbal son loves when you sing for him. He loves YouTube, Kids, um, kids Coco Melon. He's not given much screen time because when he does, he spits on the iPad screen a lot. When you take it away from him and turn on the TV, he does the same thing. He's, he does not want a chewy stick or a chewy necklace. He receives regular ABA, OT, and speech services, wondering if there is another intervention procedure that we could try to help him reduce or refrain from spitting.
0: You know, this, unfortunately, this is one of the behaviors that you're going to have to, it's a try and see method, you know, um, Because throughout all ABA, you're really, you know, when you have your BCBA come in, they need to do an FBA, a functional behavior assessment on the behavior. You know, a lot of people will go straight to chewy sticks. And though that helps with um, certain types of chewing problem behaviors, what I have found is it's actually usually something else. Like they don't know how to swallow their own spit or they're thirsty. And you know how when you're thirsty, you salivate more? And they just don't know how to swallow or to drink water when they're thirsty and they don't recognize there's a lot of different you know other uh skills that are missing and you know a lot of people will go to the chewy stick just because it's an assumption that maybe they need that type of stimulation but i would say like you know you're going to work with your bcba to figure out you know what's the function and beyond automatic You know, a lot of times an automatic basically means anything like that is intrinsically, you know, um, the child's intrinsically desiring and doing that behavior and getting some kind of satisfaction from it. But work with your OT, you know, like really look at the sensory aspect and say, is there a sensory aspect? Is it the chewing? Is it just like not knowing how to swallow when they should or not? being thirsty and not knowing to get some water or if it's just excitement you know how how to be excited and it could be that he gets like overly stimulated and that's there's a whole like theory on that in the sensory you know integration world but a lot of times it's just showing our kids like what is it about this video that he likes and it, he probably is a visual learner, just the fact that he likes looking at the... And if if you can take the visual learning aspect and teach, get your BCBA to really take off and probe, you know, that area of understanding, then, you know, all the better because it just shows you, you want to figure out just like you do with all the neurotypical kids is how do you learn best? And we already know that with autism, that you know, one of the issue early on is they don't know, learn like everybody else. So you have to help them figure out, like, how do they learn? Are they better with auditory stimulation? Are they with the visual? Like, what is their strength? And then taking their strength and using it so that they can learn everything else, at, or at least have it be a portal to learning. And um, really, you know, use that information to help them learn in as many places as possible. So not to put too fine of a point on it, um, but... Since you've said
1: that you are somebody who's getting ABA, we're going to assume that you're getting good quality ABA. So then at this point, you've noticed a challenging behavior. You should immediately go back to the person who is your supervisor on that case, your board certified behavior analyst, and, and ask for a meeting to talk about that behavior. And then they will go through a process where they figure out first what the function of the behavior is, and then they will implement a strategy and they will teach you in the strategy what to do. And it could be a lot of different things like Evelyn just discussed. And they will see if it works and they will adjust accordingly. But this is, you know, this is a fairly common behavior spitting, right, Evelyn, and that there there are you know, tons of interventions depending on what the function of the behavior is. And, and my, my memory of this is if you try to shortchange it and just jump to the end, you miss the whole thing. Yeah. You miss the whole point. Yeah. Um, so it just try, comes back. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, we were all taught in my generation, you punish it. Well, that doesn't work. We've all seen that that doesn't work. Um, and, and so there are a bunch of things that they can do to help you, but it really starts with saying to the person who is in charge of designing the program for your child, here's this behavior, I wanna work on it. And, and here's the thing, Evelyn, I know as a parent who did who did this, we forget sometimes that that's step one.
0: <laughs> we just forget, yeah. right. Uh, I got well, it. and I feel like a broken record sometimes, because, but it really does go back to that every time. You know, and it's once you figure out the function, then that's when all the creativity comes, you know, trying yes. out how to address it. But you really do have to go back to like, why is this person doing this? It's just like you would do with I always I liken it back to just all the different people we interact with when somebody behaves badly or in an odd way. There's a reason. Yes. There's always a reason reason for why that person's behaving that way. And it's the same thing for our kids. There's a reason for this. And, but for our kids, they don't have the communication skills to tell you. So it comes out in different forms. And then also like there are things going on with their bodies and you get a typical little kid out there. If they wake up or if we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we our bodies just don't feel good. We behave a certain way. But
1: here's the hopeful part. Once you figure out what you think the reason is, then it becomes much clearer how to intervene successfully. You become effective. Okay. We have a bunch of questions coming in live, but I want to ask one more question that was asked before. I have like 10 of them that I really wanted to get to, but I want to get to the live ones. Um, Okay hello, ladies, how do I work? Because I know you'll be good at this one, Evelyn. How do I work on building the skill? Sometimes I have to do things I don't want to do. My 13-year-old has it in his brain that except from school, he doesn't need to do anything he doesn't like. For example, (laughs) make his lunch, go outside, get fresh air, spend time with his family. We have let him have his way a few times and now he thinks that's how it should always be. He's very content sitting on the couch with his iPad. He's homeschooled and doesn't have friends. He says no to almost every suggestion and we end up forcing him out of the house sometimes and he will say he had fun. We live in a beautiful state with lots to do and thank you. And I'm sending this parent a hug because I think we've all been there in some way, some shape or form. But Evelyn Kung is here and she knows things. So tell us
0: <laughs> Well, let me just say, I love kids like this. <laughs> Yeah, they are so smart. They figured out how to make their world work. And if all of us could get away with only doing the things that we liked, <laughs> I'd do it. <laughs> yeah, we would try. But we have this social understanding out there, you know, the need for independence, the need to want want new things, try new things, you know, be stimulated in other ways. We get bored. Um and i would say for a kid like this you really actually ne- need to go back and do an assessment of all the skills that he has because there's definitely information that's missing and usually the information that's missing has to is in the area of what we call cognition or perspective taking you know emotional understanding that whole aspect and then executive functioning understanding what's important Understanding how to prioritize things, understanding just how to organize yourself. And all of that is really hard for a lot of people. I mean, research is showing that adolescent you know, one of the professors wrote a book about how adolescence and males doesn't end until they're 25, you know, like. <laughs> Because that's the prefrontal part of your brain that, you know, executive function skills need to develop. And it needs all that time for some people and apparently for a large group of people. And, you know, when you're missing information, then you're going to make decisions that don't make sense to the people around you. And a lot of, for our kids that have this kind of skill, just by the little information that you gave me, silency is a really big one, not understanding what's actually important. If you live in a world where everything has equal importance, of course, you're just going to pick and choose the things that you want because you like those things and you're just going to ignore everything else. And, you know, there's, you know, the fact that he's able to do school and that is a rule that he has learned is great, except that just means that that's he, you know, school probably has given him rules about what's important and the order it is but in your home life maybe that hasn't been so clearly stated and then now that he's older he's had 13 years of not abiding by those rules so now you're introducing them at age 13 and he's just like well no I've gotten this far this way so why do things have to change now (laughs) and because a lot of our kids don't like change as it is so the fact that you've let them do things for 13 years he has in his rec- in his brain, he's probably made it a rule, because our kids get you know our ASD kids they're they're so great when you give them a rule. But what people don't understand is you give them a rule and they think it lasts forever, and maybe you're only giving them a rule for that one situation <laughs> at that moment of time. But the idea is that you grow and develop, and like right now you don't you aren't um, I can make your lunch for you, but later on you have to learn to make your own lunch because maybe you want to live by yourself. And when they don't see that timeline and they're not observing and learning the way they, other people do, all of that just doesn't make sense. You're just giving them these extra rules that just like he doesn't like, and he'd rather not abide by. And it's because he's missing a lot of social information. And that's why you need to go back and you need to start assessing, like, does he know how, to problem solve? Can he understand a cause and effect situation? Can he make inferences, you know, understanding if I don't do this now, what does that mean for later on in life? You know, like that type of learning, it does not come natural for our very black and white ASD learners. So there is a lot of information that still is probably missing from his repertoire, even if he talks a lot a lot of times kids come in and people are like oh yeah they talk a lot they're fine and i'm like no they just don't have the right words a lot of times and giving them the right words starts teaching them how to understand the gray that you know life is a continuum it's not just one way or another you kind of move back and forth between every you know on every level and you have to understand you know those small changes that happen and you have to understand socially that as you get older you you become responsible for more too and if they're missing all of that information then the rules that you give just don't make sense and they've been able to do things this other way you know early on so they just take that as a rule as forever and then so that's the teaching that needs to go on there's a lot of missing components in teaching a child how to go through all of that and you know i have to say like even though you haven't said this The lack of understanding of what authority means needs to start being met or being talked about because they won't understand it right away because authority changes depending on who you're with, where you're at and what's going on. And in school, it's very clear what the authority is. But outside of that, in the community, there's not a lot of clear rules. It really does change by who's there. And that's usually probably the most dangerous aspect when they don't understand what authority means and um, but under to understand authority you have to understand a lot of other basic things socially too about the environment who and what and how you know things function and how things change depending on who you're with and that is a lot of teaching so I would encourage you that you need to go step back and try to figure out what the deficits are first with the more simple aspects of life and then slowly build upon them so that you can get to the point where they understand why they have to make their own lunch or why they have to learn to make their own lunch, you know? And, um, but until those holes are filled in, it's really hard for a lot of our kids. It just doesn't make sense. I've had a lot of frustrated teenagers come in and say like, I don't know why I have to do this. And I'm just like, factually tell showing them you're not always going to be 13. You're not always going to be living at home. (laughs) Aren't there things that you want to do? Because if there's things that you want to do, these are all the things that are needed to get to that point. And so that it's just more clearly mapped out for them. And then it gives them reason um, to learn how to do some of these other things daily, uh, because then they're looking for that goal or that reinforcer that's coming along.
1: I I love that you're talking about all this stuff, because I think it's so important And I've seen the difference from parents who really take this to heart with a 13 year old and really start, you know, filling their bucket with all these skills to get them ready for that later on and having them do chores and, you know, volunteer places and get those pre-employment kind of skills happening and, and, and try other leisure activities and things like that, because I've seen what happens when they don't, and then they just keep you know, how how often do we get the question from, I remember the one mom who wrote in and said, how do I get my adult daughter, all she does is sit on a chair all day long and stir her coffee, and, I, and she's not doing anything else. And my, and my heart goes out because I, I think it's really critical that we acknowledge the fact that even though our kids are on the spectrum, they're still 13-year-olds when they're 13 in a lot of ways. And the the movie that helped me the most and I encourage all parents to go and watch it again is that Disney movie is it called Inside Out? The one where there all the emotions live in their head and have characters. But the thing that was that really hit home for me and Jen was just about turning 13 when that movie came out. And and I had an opportunity actually to interview the people who who made the movie. Pete Doctor and I can't think um what the other gentleman's name is but they were saying that the reason why they made the movie is because one of them, um, their child was going through that thirteen-year-old thing, and it was like joy took a back seat. They had gone through all this time being joyful, 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 and that joy took a back seat, and they wanted to better understand it. And I, I mean, I think it's a great movie for everybody. But I think for a caregiver to watch that when your child is around thirteen to have an understanding of things in their head are shifting and going different places and they don't quite, even if they're on the spectrum, a lot of times they don't fit, they feel that they don't fit into the little kid stuff, but they still want to do it. And it creates this whole thing. So I applaud this parent. I I, I think it's really important that they listen to all the things that you just said, Evelyn, in a minute, we're going to talk about skills and, and how you can access some things and skills um, for free this week that, might be of help. But I especially want to acknowledge the thing about, you know, when she said we, sometimes we take him places and he doesn't want to go. And, but then he says he had a good time. I had to motor my son through a lot and and it might take two hours. I'd say we're going to a festival and he'd go, I don't want to go. I'm playing a video game. And he didn't know what a festival was, didn't know that he whether he would like it, so why would he leave the video game? And it might take me two hours to get him in the car to go to the festival, but I would always hear the same thing. That was great. Why don't we do more things like that?
0: Well, yeah, and you have, the innate understanding from an AST person is change, they don't like change. You know, they like things that are the same, but you don't want to, they don't, they're, you know, they, since they don't know how to reach out, it just if you just understand that any new thing is going to be something that they don't want, then you can get past it because you know, no, if you get there, you might really like it. It's just that initial, like, the idea of doing something different is not interesting or not you know something that they in their head think about and but that's the role of as the family and as the caregiver is just like hey i know you're gonna hate this at first but once we're there you might like it and since you know your child the best and parents are the best experts on their own child once you get them past that negativity they're gonna be fine with it and there's a lot of us like that if we go to another country there's a lot of people that don't want to leave this country, you know, or even for me, I love traveling. I'll go somewhere and sometimes I'll be like, uh, do I want to go do that? You know, that's, that I don't know anything about, or do I want to go do something that I have some idea about? Sometimes it takes a little push to get me to try that new thing because it does require some effort. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. It's, it's worth it, it completely.
1: Okay. I want to go to some of the live questions. We're sort of going to rapid fire these. Um, purple lover says, hi, my son hand flaps only when he's overly excited. What do I do for that? I just want to ask the follow up question. Is it getting in the way of something when he's overly excited? Is it preventing something? Is it getting in the way? Is there a reason why something has to be done? I'm just asking the question.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I don't know why hand flapping happens. Um, some, if it's only when they're excited, sometimes it's just teaching them a different way to be excited. I've had kids come in and, (laughs) and this may not be yours. I'm just giving you an example. So sometimes kids just don't know what else to do with their hands. And there's just something, you know, if they've been doing it for 10 years, they're just going to keep doing it. Right. I've had kids who hand flapping when they're excited comes out with allergies. It's, Like, I had a kid who every time the winds would blow, um, you know, we have the Santa Ana winds here in in Southern California. And every time the winds would blow, I'd be like, oh, it's a day when he he gets excited, he's going to hand flap. Like, we just took it. And then one day he had had it. We hadn't seen it in a while. And he was hand flapping when he was excited. And we're like, why is this here now? We would all just look at him like, okay, we don't know why. And then mom would be, mom looked at us and said, you know what? I forgot to give him his Claritin today. Ah, (laughs) So she gives it to him and two hours later, it's gone
1: that's fascinating I've never heard that before well that's fascinating
0: you know a lot of our kids actually I've had many kids who have their stereotypy comes in high waves with their allergies it's pretty interesting by things like this that would happen but like would I say that's the fact I don't know it's just a manifestation for that child that we worked with you know and um some kids we've just taught them how you know are like you know it's great that's the way you're excited but maybe the parents are like it makes you stand out so hey instead of pointing that out to them we're like hey when you're excited here are all all these other things that you can do and then you just had to practice them and then they started being excited just like all the other kids you know all the fist bumps and high fives and all of those the more socially appropriate ones um, that were very interactive so you learn how to share enjoyment instead of just hand clapping for yourself um, just teaching them some of these other things and you know and prompting them to do it when the time came, and then they would get the social um satisfaction of like interacting with somebody to share enjoyment, then it just kind of like morphed its way into something else, but you know I don't know why it is that you know a lot of our kids do hand clap, and it's sometimes it's stereotypy and sometimes it's not, and you know i don't you know I don't know.
1: Okay, Uh, Joy says, I have custody of my 11, almost 12-year-old grandson. I'm having trouble helping him calm down when he's approaching a meltdown. I see it coming, and I start using my soft directive tone, reminding him to breathe and giving simple directions, but he absolutely fights me and tells me he can't calm down. I sometimes walk away and give him space or time or offer hugs, but nothing is working. I try to catch it early, but I'm failing. Any suggestions?
0: Yeah. So this is earlier. We talked about executive functioning and how the prefrontal cortex of your brain's growing. It's the same area. Emotional regulation, self-regulation. When the child's already escalating, it's pretty much too late to stop it. <laughs> you know, because anything that you start to say to him is seen as a demand. And so he's a, his system's already... T- tap, you know, just in kind of emotional or intense as it is already. So anytime, just think about the way you feel. If you're already escalating emotionally and just one person says something really minor to you, it just becomes more agitated. It's the same way for him. So what I usually do with these kids is when they're not in the middle of a behavior, when it's just like a normal calm day, I'll sit and that's the time to talk about it. Because that's the time when the child, if they're able to identify what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what actually happened during that time, um, they're able to communicate more of what needs they have. So like when they're not in the middle of it, they're not even close to it. And you're able to say like, okay, let's make a plan. The next time you start to escalate, what should I do? What do you want done? and and like what things bother you the last time that we you, you know this was happening and it can be anything from like when you start talking it just makes me not think be able to do more or okay so if you're not talking how should i how should i talk to you and we've had lots of kids in our clinic when bef- we we make a plan ahead of time and say like okay is it hard for you to talk when you're upset like that or you're getting upset and the kid says yes then i'm like okay should I write something down for you? Is that easier for you? Do, do you want to try that? Like, do you Do you want to just, you know, hand me a card that says I need a break right now or I need to go to my room, you know? Or like, I ask them, where do you, when you start to escalate and we're at home, where do, where should you be? Because let's make a plan. So I've had kids be like, when I go to my yellow chair, leave me alone, you know? And so they start to escalate and I'll say like, is it why don't you go to your yellow chair? And since it's his plan anyway, <laughs> they, they you know, because when you get the kids so that they can make help make this plan of what to do when they start to escalate, then they actually do follow through more. And then you'll avoid some of this um, emotional meltdown because you're you've you have a plan and they know what your plan is, too, because they were there making it with you. And you know their likes and dislikes are embedded in, but also they know like okay this is something that I can do that I was a part of that I can um, uh, get myself to so that I don't escalate to the point of having a meltdown or you know punching someone. I mean I, we've done this with a lot of kids, and you know you just have to kind of go through every aspect and make sure that when you're making your plan, like where do you want to be? What bothers you? What helps you? And a lot of times they don't know what helps them and what bothers them. So it's you providing information like me talking. Does that bother you? Is it hard for you to find words to tell me what's going on when you're starting to get upset? You know, like, where do you want to be? Does, you know, light bother you when you're, you know, getting upset? Would you prefer to be in a dark, cool place when you're hot? Okay, so if we know you're hot, part of what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you some cold water when you go, you know, to your corner, you know, like just whatever it can be to, you know, so there's a lot of like choices and there's a lot of discussion to during this time. And that's why it's important not to do it during the middle of a meltdown and not to link it back to a specific meltdown, because that becomes negative too. If you're always going back and talking about a specific time when something happened, you're just trying to talk in general. And if you can get this plan, um, in place and write it out or put it out visually the way that he understands it, um, he will follow it. And you might have to prompt it a little bit to happen, but you'll see that he'll start to escalate because everything that is bothersome will have been removed or like attempted to be removed aside from like maybe the issue that you can't do anything about. Um, but when you get all this input from him to make a plan and it, he owns the plan, because he's had input in it, and he's not in, in, in the middle of an emotional um, meltdown, and he's able to tell you what his needs are, then a lot of times this is the way to ask Clay. And the thing is, you also have to prepare, like if you're saying, okay, I'm gonna set a timer or where let's, I'll give you 10 minutes, and then I'm gonna come check on you because I need to make sure you're okay. And if I come to you and you don't want, you still need time, what are you gonna say to me? I need to know what you would say. Like, so they really have some control aspect too of it. So they're able to not have to think about the words to tell you that they need more time, but to have a script to just say like, you know what, I need more time right now. I need five more minutes. And um, you can can map it all out and it, it always works. Evelyn, they are loving, loving, loving all this advice for
1: this. But the question has been asked, what about if the child is nonverbal and not able to tell you all of this?
0: Yeah, so it's a different aspect if they're nonverbal. If they're nonverbal, you're going to have to take, it's the same thing about in the middle of it, you're not going to make a decision. Okay, you're, It's there's in the middle of meltdown for anybody, verbal and nonverbal, you're not going to do anything new. <laughs> and no. just know that any inner interaction you have with the child is a demand. Okay? So even if you're saying calm down or breathe, they're all demands, does not matter if you're verbal or nonverbal. That's so, not helpful. Yeah, it's not helpful at all. So when the child is calm, you're gonna sit there and figure out what will make him more calm. And you you have to go through a list of whatever you're tried, whether it's cool or here let me just shift you over here and i'm gonna just not talk to you for five minutes was five did it work no let me not talk to you for 10 minutes oh that worked so you know that okay now when he starts to escalate you're gonna stop talking move him to a quiet space a cool space and you're gonna give him at least 10 minutes alone before you do anything you know because the thing with nonverbal kids is There are a lot of things that set them off and a lot of it is they can't communicate it to you. So the the actual function is different versus the child who's very verbal and is just upset about you, you know what he's upset about. So now you're just trying to like calm him down. The child who is nonverbal, you have to figure out what's the function again. Like, what is the function of this meltdown? Is it not getting access to something, not getting attention? Is it because he hates this activity and he wants to run and avoid it? Like there's a lot of, you know, or just, is it a sensory issue? And he can't tell you that he can't stand the sound of a toy that you just bought him. Like there's a lot of other things. So when it's nonverbal, you have to go through, you know, what, what we talked about earlier is finding the function. And then once you have the function, being able to create an intervention plan specifically for it. And that's the difference is with the child who's very verbal, they're telling you what's annoying them. <laughs> they just can't tell you what will help them calm down. <laughs> so it's it's different.
1: Can I also throw in there that because one of the things that I see both in myself and I'm just going to because I'm a very allergic and reactive person but then I saw this in my child too. And I see this in a lot of other people's children is that when it's like there's tantrums and then there's meltdowns. And one of the things that I always like to talk about um, is that when it's a meltdown, we can't just decide that we're not going to look at environmental things because as you were saying, sometimes it's a sensory thing. And I know I am allergic to wheat, and if I try to be so careful about getting wheat, at, you know, touching anything that I'm doing, because if I get exposed to wheat, I get hot and it feels like there are bumps pushing up on my skin. And, and it's like with, with a dog, hackles are raised, like I can feel the hair on my head standing up and I'm hot and I'm irritated. And you could say anything to me. You could say, you look beautiful today. And my response will be like, don't talk to me. I, you know, like, you know, I don't need to hear that I'm beautiful. I am angry. And for people who are around me, they're like, what's up with her? And I, now at this age, I recognize it. And I take Benadryl and I go to bed <laughs> if I start to feel this, because I don't like who I am when I have, we and I, and I thought about that with my son. I was like, you know, what is in his, because there are times when he would behave in this way that it didn't,
0: yep. it Where did went it come beyond from? a
1: tantrum went beyond a tantrum, but I didn't think, I couldn't figure it out without, and this is going to come out of my mouth. You know, it's not my favorite thing, but I had to take data. Okay. I had to start to journal. That's why I pulled up this paper. I had to start to journal when he would have a tantrum and, and, you know, and I've talked with you guys before about the ABC across the top and what happened before, what the behavior was, what the consequence was, But when it was meltdowns, can I tell you, for me, the most elucidating part was the what happened before, that I started to notice, oh, well, if he has lemonade, an hour later after having lemonade, we have a meltdown because there is a color in the lemonade that he's reacting to. And you don't know that stuff unless you take data and you literally carry around the piece of paper and write down everything. So I'm annoying, but, you know, isn't that like, it, do, do you find that to be true, Evelyn, in, in a lot of kids that there is this something is happening that's environmental. It could be the tag on their shirt. It could be fluorescent light bulbs that are kind of off and buzzing.
0: No, and this is why I know as a parent, you guys need to tell, if you have a provider or even school people, you have to, if you notice that your child has some sensitivity to sound, light, texture, whatever it may be, it's important that everybody in that person's life know about it. Because that's a potential thing that is bothering the child and other kids can talk about it. But if your child is nonverbal and can't talk about it, then you need a way for that child to communicate that issue. you know. And I know as a parent, when your child's bothered and you don't know why, it, it's very debilitating. It can be very debilitating. But if you can go through your checklist, and anybody that's work is with your child can go through the checklist and figure out like, oh, maybe it's the shirt. Let's change your shirt. You know, or maybe it's the light. Let's turn it off because he can hear the sound, not because of the light, but he can hear the sound of the light. And if you can go through kind of, the, kind of a checklist of things, maybe one of those will work. And a lot of times for our kids, they do, they do work. You know, I've looked at typical kids who have sensory issues. The difference is that typical kid knows how to talk about it and knows how to get help for it you they can smell something and it's bothering them and they can look at the teacher wait for the right time go up there and say hey the smell from outside is really bothering me can i close the window because they know how to problem solve too so then they do it and then it's done right or they can ask their chair to be moved because the sun is too strong right now in front of them and they know how to ask for problem solve. They identify and they problem solve. And our kids can't, uh, half the time can't communicate what's bothering them. And because it's not just one item that's bothering them, you know, it's the idea of, you know, a a label on their shirt. Okay. That's pretty clear. But what happens if it just the back of your shirt is scratchy, you know, and I can't tell you, and there's no label there, you know, our kids have trouble with generalization. And it's the same thing, if something can bother them, but they may not be able to generalize it from one to the next. And I've had so many kids who are vocal who tell me this, like they'll they'll, they'll be claiming that this thing is bothering them, but that thing's not present. And then, you know, through trial and error, it's like, oh, you don't like it because of this (laughs) aspect. And okay, next time this happens, you need to tell mom X, Y, and Z. And I will help you problem solve, you know because it, our kids are just trying to communicate half the time these abstract feelings and emotions and you know how their bodies are feeling. And um, I always say like for all of you, one thing that I do with all the kids across the board is there's something like in the ABA world called private events. These are things like being tired and sleepy and hungry, things that, only that person knows and you it's hard to see the evidence of it unless they tell you I'm hungry or if their stomach like, rolls and you're like, are you hungry, right? And I always say that if whenever a private event happens, like pain, hunger, thirst, when you see evidence of it, I tell the child, say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Ouch, this hurts. <laughs> I, You know, this feels terrible. Like whatever it may be, I try to what we call tact comment on it. Because if you can get them to comment every time a private event is um, going on, then hopefully in the future, that child on his own will be able to say, ouch, or hungry, or <laughs> thirsty, or hot, you know, or whatever it is. And that alone is like the biggest present I always say to a parent, you know, for when that child's able to t- communicate that abstract information that only he himself knows. You know, that it's it's amazing how life can change. Because then you can help problem solve that.
1: Absolutely. We that we were given that advice. I always referred to it as languaging it. So if he was if something was happening like he was crying, I would say, Yes, you're sad. Or, you know, if if he shivered, I would say, Oh, you're cold, or you know, whatever, what languaging it for him. And then he did eventually language it for himself. It was an amazing thing. I want to take just a second here because we've talked a lot about a lot of different things that people might have more questions about. And there are two amazing products, their Skills and IBT, which is the Institute for Behavioral Training. And every week they offer something free to our audience during COVID. So I want to take just a second here to say that this week, for ABA Parents and Guardians, they're offering the free IBT parent e-learning course, Parent Communication and Socialization. I mean, as you're starting into the summer months coming out of COVID, could there be a better thing for you as a caregiver to look at communication and socialization? It's free to you. And I'm going to get your pencil ready because I'm going to tell you the number that you called to get that. For teachers who are just now, you know, if you've got a teacher that you want to give a gift to, um, because it's the end of the school year, or if you um, are going to be homeschooling this summer, or you, you know, you, uh, you're a teacher or you know a teacher, whatever, they're offering every week a different e-learning module, um, and this week it's educator the social environment, and that's available for free. Uh, how amazing is that? They are also continuing to offer their RBT 2.0 training course. This is the registered behavior technician, the portion of it that's online, the coursework. It's a 40-hour course, and that is free to parents on a case-by-case basis. You have to be willing to do the 40 hours. So you'll need to call them if you're motivated to do that. And in addition to that, they also have all of Skills uh, products are 10% discount. We've talked a lot today. Evelyn has brought up getting a functional behavior assessment and coming up with an intervention plan. There is a tool, uh, a behavior intervention plan tool builder um, in skills. And it's all that and many other things are 10% off right now. What you need to do to be eligible for any of these free things or the discount is to call this number 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877 877- Nine seven five four five five nine. You'll tell them that you saw it on Autism Live, or you can say Shannon sent me. I always joke and say, ask them for the friends and family discount. Uh, <laughs> I think they think I'm crazy, but um, it there's really useful stuff, and it's free. So why not? Why would you not take advantage of that? Um, so if Like, you know, Parker has written in a question about somebody having meltdowns in the UK where they don't have access to ABA, Um, IBT, and doing that course, that will give you all of the different strategies um, to be able to do that. I will say that if you are requesting um, any of these things and you are outside of the US, and you're not able to call that 877 number, please feel free to email me your request and I forward all the overseas ones directly over to them and they'll email you back. It usually takes a week or two. So I just want to warn you about that. Um, Christina wants to know, how do I get my child not to suck his fingers? He's eight years old and this is a health concern. He sucks his fingers for comfort. He does not like chewy. He is nonverbal
0: yeah, it's in this situation, it's like thumb sucking, right? It's comfort, it's relaxing. Um, this is it's it's going back to the function again. if it is purely comfort, depending on level of understanding there are other ways that comfort can be had and it might be that you'll have to do some inventory (laughs) exploration like are there other things that actually comfort him because actually that's what happens as you grow older right we have little babies who thumb suck to for comfort and kind of self-calming but they grow out of it because they learn other ways to get comfort and to calm And so it might be that while he's finger sucking now, you might start introducing whether it's music or maybe weighted blankets or a certain texture of a blanket. Like if there's something else in his life that is very comforting, you might start wanting to bring that out so that he gets access to it more in a more appropriate way. Because once he starts learning that these other things can be comforting, then you can start decreasing, you know, the thumb sucking and or the finger sucking because yeah, because of COVID and, you know, germs and everything else, it is a a big health concern. So that is like one of the things that can be done is you need to start figuring out what other things can calm him and making those things accessible, easily accessible. So it might be like with some kids, if there's like a certain like uh, some of our kids like texture, right? They love the blanket and they love the way it feels a certain way. I actually will tell parents, hey, let's see if there's any clothing made out of this. You know? And if there is like, uh, whether it's a hoodie or a sweatshirt or like a sweater that's made out of it, let's make this like the comforting item that they can put on and that just makes them feel good. And maybe that's enough comfort to get them from wash, you know, to going through the process. On the other hand, to counter the, the all the thumb sucking and finger sucking and all of that is I give them a rule like I start. And you, the thing is, you have to reinforce it consistently if you're going to teach some rule, just like with anything else. In that, if you are going to suck your fingers, you first need to go wash your hands with soap and water for X amount of time, dry it. And then if you're going to suck your fingers, you have to go in your room. Like I'll put, I'll start putting rules on it. Like this is the only time and you can't touch anything else in between. <laughs> and then after you're, you're finished sucking your fingers, you need to go wash your hands, <laughs> soap and water, the whole, the whole deal, dry them. All, like, and it becomes kind of punishing because the effort, you know, amount in having to wash your hands twice, beginning and end, they it becomes annoying just because of the amount of effort involved in that. And then if you make something alongside it that is, is more appropriate and um, more safe, then they kind of counter and they work together. And then you start to see the kids move over. It takes time, especially if he's eight and he's been sucking his fingers for eight years. You're not going to get rid of this overnight. I think sometimes we forget, you know, like... A lot of times when the ch- when our kids get older and we realize, you know what, that's a behavior that's no longer safe or appropriate anymore, we forget how long they've been doing it and how often. And if you want them to learn another behavior to replace it, you have to be consistently implementing it and reinforcing it for a good amount of time. You know, if they've been doing that eight years, you're not getting rid of this in two days you it might be you're doing this for eight months but it's okay as long as you know it's gonna come and um so i think a lot of times families try things but they don't try it long enough because it's it's a lot of work to make your child follow through and i understand that you know that it is a lot of work for follow through and there's a lot of other demands going on here in life so i always tell families that if you're gonna teach a replacement behavior that requires a lot of effort on your part Don't start doing it until you're ready to be able to follow through and commit to a a certain amount of time, you know, a long enough time. Um, Because if you start it and then you fail and you start, um, you you don't follow through, it's just wasted effort on your part and on the child's effort, you know, on the child's side. So just make sure that you're able to follow through and that you're committed to following through and then it, it does work.
1: Great advice. I'm gonna try to squeeze in one last question here. My son gets fixated on schedules, even if he is doing what he likes outside the home. If he has to be home at a certain time, he wants to go home. How do I make him change his mind?
0: (laughs) I love the scheduling kids. (laughs) You know, how many of us want control over our life?
1: (laughs) I I, I not only want control over my life, I want control over everyone's life. (laughs)
0: And I want to know when things happen. And if I, it's just that for me, I want to know when things happen. And if I decided I want it to happen, I want to be able to change it. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that's these kids. A lot of times when they don't feel like they have enough control, they obsess on the control part on the schedule. And if they don't have control to move or free, thing, if they feel like things happen without them having control, it becomes more obsessive. And you know, I always say the kids with schedules is you. when you're starting a schedule, you have to build flexibility into it. Tell them, hey, this might end at five, but that means we might not leave there till 510. <laughs> like you have to start scheduling the wiggle room. Like, hey, things can happen between this time and this time. Traffic happens. I remember when my kids were little, one loved the car, one hated the car. <laughs> so literally we'd be driving and one would cry when we were moving and one would cry when we were stopping. (laughs) And, you know, I was like, like, what are we going to do with this? Right. And the other one would just look at the other one when one would cry and stop and one loves control and one could care less. And, you know, it was just like be learning. And I live in LA. So traffic happens (laughs) and, They had to deal with it. And so a lot of times when we start doing schedules, it's like giving, telling them what the room wiggle room is too. you know, you're scheduling it in like this could be 15 minutes, but it might be 30 minutes because there is an accident or this could be blah, blah, blah. And giving them the idea of like what that wiggle room is and how much change, because eventually with these kids that with scheduling, you're going to teach them, hey, you can move this. This took longer so we can move this somewhere else. And you actually have to have to build that into them to show them that this is how it could work. Some things you can change, like, Hey, we were going to go get ice cream before we picked up so-and-so, but now we're going to have to go after because we didn't have enough time, but it's okay. You're getting your ice cream, you know, one way or the other, but there's other things that don't change. Like you're picking up someone from the airport, you have to pick them up <laughs> and there's you, we can't alter it. And so they start to learn what, all the negotiables are and what's the necessities and how much room and if you start building it in with that type of understanding and you're and it's teaching him too about saliency like what i talked about earlier what matters and what doesn't matter because a lot of times that is the control piece kids don't understand like why did we have to do this but not do this and and it's teaching them that flexibility that they need to make schedules and that's the quick answer (laughs)
1: I just adore you. Thank you so much. I feel like we had the masterclass on executive functions today between all of the things put together, like, you know, great things to work on this summer. uh, And we're going to be showing you guys more fun things for the summer. Uh, I do want to thank Evelyn for being here. Thank all of you for being here on tomorrow's show. I'm really excited because we have Veronica Hinojosa who's going to be with us. Isn't she wonderful? And she's gonna be talking with us specifically about sibling issues. Um, I've seen her speak on this and it's just absolutely amazing. And your your guys are gonna love it. It's gonna give you some real um, ideas and writing your questions about sibling things because she's uh, fantastic on this particular subject. Um, And then on Friday, we have Marc Atelier who's gonna be with us as well. And we're out of time or I would wax poetic about him too. But, definitely tune in tomorrow. It's going to be really fun. And I'll give you more information about Friday. Evelyn, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. All right, you guys, we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.